Hello, 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 good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Eschettino. And today I wanted to talk about something I've been asked about many times. Um, you know, my World War I, uh, the, the three, three-part podcast, actually, uh, you know, got me a couple of questions from people. They wanted to know about it. They wanted to ask more and, and of, of course, I'm very happy. I mean, <laughs> this may come as a shock to some of you. And by that, I mean that no one who knows me, this will come as a shock to. But that I, I really do enjoy talking about history and, and explaining certain things. And, you know, World War I is just such a fascinating uh, event from an historical perspective. Obviously, it's a horrific event from a human perspective. Tens of millions of people died. I, you know, an entire generation lost. But from an historical perspective and trying to look at things like, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Uh, World War I is very interesting because there really aren't any, um, th- there aren't any clear-cut villains. Yes, I give it to you. You can maybe blame the Kaiser... Um, you know, you can blame, you know, the, the combination of systems of alliances. But what I wanted to talk about today, what I wanted to start talking about today, and this is, of course, something that's going to take many uh, podcasts to do, is about the Second World War. Now, the Second World War, uh, in the United States, if you are in America, you'll know this, uh, World War One is kind of like, oh, and then there was this little disagreement in Europe, and then uh, they killed one another for four years, then we had to come in and save them. Yeah, and then, and then that was that. World War Two, though, my God. I mean, World War Two became, how many films can we do about this? How many times can John Wayne get out there and, uh, you know, save the day? Um, it, it, World War Two for the United States... Uh, is really the kind of, that's that's the, um, I don't know what you want to call it, the measuring stick, but everyone in the United States likes to still talk about World War II. That was, that was the moment, the greatest generation, as people like to call them. Uh, world War II was where the United States saved the world. Now, I'm not going to say that that is, uh, that is false. Um, the United States during World War II absolutely did tremendous things. Um, And we'll talk about that. We will talk about that. Uh, But, you know, the fact of the matter is that unlike World War I, where the United States basically got involved in the final year of the war and and kind of, you know, was the force that pushed everyone over the edge, uh, World War II is fascinating because the United States gets involved uh, fairly early on in the war. I mean, the war starts... And this is, again, something I will talk about. By, by, by most contemporary historians' um, you know, uh, readings, the war starts in 1939 with Germany invading Poland, causing uh, the United Kingdom and France to declare war on Germany, and then that's that. And then you know, the war continues until uh, 1945, when Germany is finally uh, completely beaten into submission and then later on, uh, in the uh, Pacific Theater, later on in 1945, Japan is forced to surrender. But the United States gets involved at the very tail end 
of world, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of 1941 in the war uh, because of the Pearl Harbor attacks, okay? Um, I'm going to make this great assumption that if you're listening to me right now, you know what the Pearl Harbor attacks were. And if you don't, then you need to go and get on the bloody internet and look it up because, come on, you know, you, you should know this by now. But be that as it may, the United States is involved in World War II uh, from, let's say, the beginning of 1942 until 1945, almost the end of 1945. And the United States is involved on two fronts, fighting both in Europe, North Africa, Italy, Normandy, France, Germany, and then also in the Pacific. So for the United States, World War II is really that war where it's kind of like the United States goes from being this power that it's like, okay, yeah, they have a lot of potential to, my goodness, what type of a can of whoop-you-know-what did we just open here? Uh, the United States single-handedly during the war uh, not only helps keep the Soviets going, which was a good thing considering that nine out of every ten dead German soldiers died on the Eastern Front. Uh, the Soviet Union fought the Germans to a standstill. But the United States tremendously helped them uh, with both food, spam. Uh, those of you that follow my Instagram account, at Antonius Optimus, will know that um, spam basically saved the Soviet Union. Also, we shipped over uh, a ridiculous number of, of, of trucks to help them move supplies, food, munitions, the back and forth. At the same time, uh, we fought the Germans and Italians, and we also fought the Japanese. Uh, the Japanese basically by ourselves. So, you know, when people want to criticize the United States or to talk about World War II, I, I mean, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm more than happy to take in considerations of, of the United States going overboard. But World War II was not one of those situations. World War II is a situation where the United States basically just, you know, completely quashed any ideas that we were a second-rate power and, and basically demonstrated we were absolutely top of the line. Um, no other country in the world at the time could have done what we did. And I'm not saying that as a, in a braggadocious way. I'm saying that from a perspective of nobody else could have done this. We were the only ones that had the resources and the ability to do what we did. Um, and World, World War II is always also very interesting because uh, World War II has very clear-cut villains, okay? So, for example, you've got your Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Hideki Tojo, you know? You've got these guys who are very easy to, I mean, no, nobody, you could argue with World War I, you could be like, well, the Germans had every right to, you know, try and expand their colonial empires, and blah, 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 blah. You really can't do that in World War II, and, and of course, one of the main reasons you can't uh, is because the actions, the activities of these powers, um, you know, the, the, the offensive powers, the Germany and Japan 
where that you had things like, for example, the Holocaust. Um, <laughs> you you can't really defend that unless if you want to defend that. Well, you're a sorry person, and um, you really ought not to be doing anything much. Uh, but you know, also with Japan, what happened in China. And people today talk about, oh, I don't understand why China is so interested. Well, go read up about the rape of Nanking, okay? Go read up about what the Japanese did to the Chinese during that war. Um, And then maybe you can come back and have a discussion about why the Chinese are still, uh, you know, salty about it. Uh, Every right to be. Um, When I talk about World War I and World War II, when I teach, I'm, I'm a history teacher, uh, as many of you know by nature, I talk about the fact that World War One and World War Two were really, if you can imagine a play, they are acts one and two of the same play. There is no uh, real disconnect. Uh, it's basically Germany trying to assert her influence in Europe and around the world. And World War I, uh, Germany almost does it, you know, a dozen miles away from Paris. Uh, beat the Russians, by the way, uh, but couldn't, couldn't close the deal. And that's why World War II, Germany, again, it's the same thing. Germany is still trying to become the dominant power in Europe and to expand her influence all over. So it, it's, it's not that different. Germany, up until that point, had always sought what we call the Lebensraum, the living space in the East, okay? Um, And again, we're we're not justifying this. We're just saying this is what happened. So Germany has been trying to do this. And, you know, again, um, in the Franco-Prussian War, uh, 1870, 71, they actually did beat France. Uh, And, and, you know, they, they forced a couple of sessions for France, but it wasn't enough. For Germany to become this massive power, they needed more. Now, I'm going to argue, and and this is, by the way, not me. This is something uh, that I learned when I was uh, in college, and again, why it's a great thing to go to school and learn. The thing that made the difference uh, in Europe and in the world was basically the advent of the railroad. Now, why? Why was this so important? Here's why. The railroad made it possible for you to move uh, items, to move men, material, great distances quickly. Before the advent of the railroad, uh, basically the ideal size of a state would have been that of, of something like France, uh, the United States, Russia, a little big. In order to get stuff from one point to another, it would take you days, weeks, months to get them. But once the railroads come about, now everything's different. Now I can ship goods over the course of a thousand miles, uh, not in a matter of weeks and months, in a matter of days. And that's what makes the difference. So now, the bigger the land that you own, the better. So now places the size of France, the size of Prussia, are no longer really ideal. 
Now the United States, rather than just being this gigantic landmass where it's like, oh, fantastic, you want to move something from California to New Jersey, well, have fun. It'll either take months and months and months to get it across by land, or you can, of course, you can go by ship, in which case it'll take you a little shorter, but it'll still be a very long trip. Now, with railroads, I can get that stuff wherever I want. And when I teach the Civil War, the American Civil War, uh, in school, I talk about probably one of the biggest assets. And again, it's it's really funny. No one talks about this. Everyone talks about what were the advantages the Union had. Well, they had more men, they had more material, they had more this, more that. Yes, you're right. Absolutely right on all those counts. But no one really ever talks about the fact that the North had a ridiculously greater amount of railroads. And that allowed them to move men and material over vast distances. I mean, because that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? I mean, the whole idea is that, listen, yeah, that's great. You know, you outnumber us right here. All right, you've got 25,000 men. We have uh, 18,000. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put men onto a railroad train and ship them 200 miles to the east. And now all of a sudden, we've got you outnumbered. 20,000 to 10,000. And if you think about that you're going to be getting men over there, well, good luck. You don't have the ability to do it. You don't have the railroads to do it. So railroads make the difference. And what you see in the aftermath of World War I is still this desire for Germany to expand. And you know, we could talk about the Treaty of Versailles. Um, you know, the, the Treaty of Versailles, I think that the, the major issue with that if you look back, if, if you look historically at Europe, you know, after Napoleon, there was this idea of, okay, listen, you know, the French done screwed up, but France is a major part of Europe. So we're going to welcome them back in. We're just going to be like, right, listen, you, you guys, you can't go out, you know, conquering and killing people anymore. And the French were like, all right, fine, good, you know, we'll, we'll chill out, we'll be good. And for almost 100 years, that stayed its way. Now, after World War I, the French under Clemenceau, David Lloyd George, they determined to punish the Germans. And this was bad. Their idea was, we're going to crush them, they'll never be able to rise up again. Ha 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 ha. Um, except that, you know, what you did was you simply made the Germans really unhappy. Now, the Treaty of Versailles wasn't as crippling as today it's, it's pointed out to be. I mean, it basically, it, it did hurt the Germans tremendously from the perspective of, uh, you know, their, their ability to maintain a military. Eh, that's what everyone was afraid of. But over time... And especially once the Great Depression hit uh, and, and the, the effects of it, uh, the Germans were able to pay back uh, all of their debt for pennies on the dollar because of the depreciation of their, their you know, the, the Deutsche Mark. So what you had was you had a Germany that was humbled, territory taken away, but still with this idea of we want our living space. And that's why you ended up having, you know, a guy like Hitler, uh, 
coming to power. <clears throat> now, the funny thing about Hitler, and I, I compare this a lot of the times to how in the United States right now, um, the current president, Donald J. Trump, is being treated. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not saying Hitler and Trump on the same level. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that many people in Germany felt, especially the industrialized elites, felt that, you know, uh, we can control this guy. We'll get him in charge. He'll do what we want, okay? He'll acquire new territories for us, for our economy, you know, but we'll, tell, we'll be able to tell him what to do. And they couldn't. Once Hitler got in charge, it was, you're not telling him anything. He's telling you what to do. And then what happened with, with Trump, I would say the same thing. Many Republicans felt, well, he'll get into power and then we'll be able to, you know, tell him what to do. No, in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, Donald Trump is telling the Republicans what to do. He's driving their agenda. They're not driving him. It, it, it is interesting to see how, you know, these powers, the powers that be decide, well, we can control this. No, it's, it is a Frankenstein's monster in a sense. You don't get to, and that's what Hitler was. Hitler was a Frankenstein's monster. They thought they could control him. They thought they could keep things under control with him. They couldn't. He was never going to be able to be under control. And he, he showed very early on in the relationship with the Junkers and with the, you know all the other uh, industrialized people in Germany uh, that he was actually the one in charge and he was calling the shots. So, you had that. And, you know, like I said before, the fascinating thing about uh, World War II is that you kind of got, you've also got, Hitler wrote a book, Mein Kampf, My, My Struggle. Okay. He wrote it when he was in prison after trying to overthrow the state, which kind of should have been your first warning sign that maybe this guy wasn't on the up and up, but hey. You know, the right wing in Germany were like, oh, they weren't upset that he tried to overthrow the state. They were upset that he didn't do it. But Hitler wrote my, mein Kampf, my struggle, in which he basically said, listen, here's what, here's the bottom line. I'll condense this book for you guys. Uh, you don't have to read it. I, I think it's in the public domain now. Um, it's horribly boring. Okay. Uh, and it's just basically Hitler ranting on and on and on. I'm going to save you the trouble. Here's what he says, basically. The Jews are responsible for all bad things. Germany should be the dominant power in the world. And in order to do that, what we've got to do is the following. Uh, we're going to attack the countries to the east of us and conquer them and create living space. And we're going to put German colonists there. Uh, and that's pretty much going to be that. And then everyone later on was like, oh my God, what, what, what do you mean Hitler's threatening to invade Poland and Russia and stuff? Uh-huh. Who would have saw this coming? Well, everyone that read the freaking book would have seen it coming, okay? Easily seen it coming. Hitler said, this is what I'm going to do. And then he went out and did it, okay? He went out and did it. Now, I mean, again, not so much of a, you know, a, a good shot in Russia, but that's for another time, and I'll discuss Russia at another point and talk about how they, you know, the, the, the issues with Germany in Russia in 1941-42 and into 43. After that, it kind of just turns into a one-sided affair. But um, 
It could have been very different. Could have been very, very different. But yeah, so anyone would have noticed that. But by the 1930s with the Great Depression, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. They're like, oh, whatever, Germany's doing whatever. Hey, did you hear that uh, you know, Germany is, uh, is training pilots again? What do you mean they're training pilots? Yeah, they're training pilots, uh, you know, to become, you know, actual fighter pilots and bombers. Like, well, you know, I mean, whatever. It's not like they're going to do anything with this. Well, I don't know. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're also running these things with tanks. Yeah, they're training with tanks. Well, uh, what are they going to do with tanks? You know, Germans. Yeah, they only had, I think, seven or eight of them during the First World War. Fun fact, that really is about the number that they had. Uh, Mephisto, which is one of the only ones remaining. Uh, there, there was one in Australia. I don't know that we know where it is now, which is a shame. If you're from Australia, um, do me a favor. Uh, go look up. There was a German tank that was uh, brought. Was, there were the A7s was the model number. Uh, they actually named each of them because there were very few. If you're from Australia, do me a favor, go find out what happened. This tank was taken to Australia as war booty. It was dragged by a tractor, which basically destroyed a lot of the bottom of it. And then it was kept outside where it got graffitied and where it was exposed to the elements. And the last that I read about it, which was maybe six months ago, they had brought it in um, to do some reconstruction on it. I'm curious uh, what happened to it, what's going on with it. it it's not for show anymore in the uh, Australian uh, the War Museum. Find out for me and email me, DM me, do something. Get in touch with me. Let me know what's going on with that. Um, in other places, you know, there, there are only a couple of them that survived, like I said. Um, <clears throat> but the Germans in World War II with their tanks, much, much, much more savvy. Okay, the tanks in World War II with, with Germany, uh, they came up with different ideas on how to use them instead of just using them what we call penny packet style, which would be like, all right, listen, we need a tank here to crush some barbed wire. The Germans uh, had an idea, and that idea became known in the West as Blitzkrieg. Now, uh, fun fact, the Germans never talked about Blitzkrieg. The German, you know, offensive strategy was always based around the idea that you would it was a war of movement okay and and that it was it was based on this idea of penetrating enemy lines of going forward of disrupting things the world war 1 towards the end of the war um you know they had the huta um these these divisions that basically were like okay we're going to penetrate enemy lines we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep going. And then later on, the other infantry, these elite forces will penetrate them. Other infantry will come up behind them. Now, that works well, and it did work well with infantry. It works even better when you've got the ability to have things like tanks, which are fast-moving, that can really penetrate enemy lines. And then the Germans had... Uh, which worked out very well in the beginning of the war, uh, the Ju-87, the Stuka dive bombers. And these were basically like, you know, mobile artillery. Uh, they could drop bombs wherever you wanted with tremendous precision. 
And so the Germans basically came up with, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to punch through the enemy lines, and then we're going to follow up with, you know, soldiers. Uh, If we run into any problems, avoid the problems. Just have the dive bombers come in there and blast any kind of an enemy stronghold. It worked ridiculously well. Uh, it, It worked really well in Poland. It worked really well in France. Uh, but again, and this is where we're trying to bring the reality of things in, in, in Poland, after the initial, you know, shock and awe, the Poles really kind of dug in and were fighting the Germans on almost equal footing. What killed them more than the Germans was the fact that the, the Soviets backstabbed them and invaded from the East. And that, that completely collapsed all Polish defenses. You could make an argument that the Poles, had the Soviets not invaded, the Poles could have possibly held out long enough to make things very difficult for Germany. They were setting up defensive lines. They were launching counterattacks. Yes, the Germans definitely had an advantage uh, in men and materiel, but the Poles were not going down. This was not, I know it was three weeks, but it was not a gimme. It was not as one-sided as you might think. Uh, With France, much the same way. All right? First three weeks, all Germany. The second three weeks, the French actually were inflicting more casualties on the Germans. But, and and we'll get into this at another point, by that point, French defeatism had kind of run through the entire military. Um, they, They didn't have the will to carry on this long systemic campaign, and they were worried that the Germans were going to uh, bomb Paris and and destroy it. Um, uh, Probably a legitimate concern. I don't doubt that the Germans would have uh, for one second. Uh, But also the British by that point uh, had made the decision to flee the continent. Uh, They had decided that they were going to, um, you know, save what limited forces they have, and that's what led to Dunkirk. So World War II, very, very interesting beginning of things. And what I wanted to leave you guys with here today, I wanted to leave you with the following. Yes, there were, there were the, the bad guys, okay? But World War II was very much World War I, um, just another attempt by Germany to do it. And with some better weapons, but I will say this, <clears throat> Don't think that, you know, the current way that people teach World War II is that, well, the Germans overran everyone up until, you know, 1943, and then everything, you know, fell back on them. Um, No, I I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that in every case, I think that the Poles, first of all, fought back splendidly against the Germans. The French did as well, the French and British. The Germans basically got the advantage of a couple of things. Number one, uh, they they caught the Poles unaware. The Poles tried to defend the entire frontier, were unable to do that. Second, the Russians invaded from the east, backstabbed them. There was that. With the French, you know, they launched that initial attack through the Ardennes. Uh, Manstein's plan, absolutely brilliant plan. Uh, they caught the French and British armies, and the Belgian armies as well, uh, up on the north. But they couldn't cripple them. 
until it was, you know, much later on. Um, and, and if you had, if they had listened to Hitler, they wouldn't have been able to cripple them at all. Uh, Hitler wanted the forces to stop attacking after the, the first and second week. And basically the German commanders were like, yeah, no problem. No, we're, we're stopping. It just takes a while to get in touch with those, you know, tank forces, the panzer forces that are sprinting out into France here. No, but we'll total we'll totally get them to slow down. Yeah. Any 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 minute now. And of course they didn't. So that's where we're at with World War II so far. Um in my next episode, I would love to talk about and well there are a couple of things I want to do in future episodes. Um I think the World War II episode is going to be more than 3. I don't know. We'll have to wait. We'll have to see how long it is. But it, it's going to be good, I'm telling you. I'm going to be talking about what happened in the early stages of World War II. I'm going to be talking about things more in depth and talking about how Europe reacted uh, to Germany, to Germany's offensives, uh, what they did, and then eventually how Germany ends up getting everything wrong. Um, you know, they, they, they got it right from a point, but as I always like to discuss... Uh, with people about World War II, with Germany, their intelligence services were absolutely horrendous, especially on the Eastern Front. I mean, Jesus, they just were like, oh, no, we expect to see about 150 divisions. And it's like 150 divisions. Uh, uh, you know, by 1943, the Soviets were fielding, you know, five and 600 divisions. I mean, how do you get to that? You know, that's like saying... Can this guy, uh, you know, uh, play good basketball? No, he's all right. You know, he's he's not a bad player. And then LeBron James shows up. Okay, I mean, you done goofed. Okay, and and that's what we're going to talk about. In any case, like I said uh, before, if you are from Australia, I want to know what happened to that A seven tank. Okay, you had it down there. It's somewhere. Let me know about it, please. I would love to. Uh, I'm going to look up the one that's. Uh, I think there's one in the United States. I'm going to have to double-check on that one. But I will let you guys know about that in the next podcast. In any case, if you have questions, comments, things you want to say, uh, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what else you want to hear. i got a couple episodes of this, and then after that, um, I want to do an episode on poetry. Um, I, I've, I've wanted to for a while. Um, I have a great book, Men Who March Away. Poems of the First World War, an anthology, and it is tremendous. I mean, uh, I, I, I think there is such a big difference between the way that, you know, war is taught in the United States versus Europe. In Europe, World War I is the big war, and, and in the United States, it's World War II. And of course, we have Vietnam, which is the other major issue in the United States, so we're still dealing with that, and, and will be for many, many decades to come. But anyway, if you have anything to say... Let me know about it. Otherwise, I hope everyone is doing well. Please be smart, be safe, social distance, wear masks. Um, let, let's beat this stupid virus down so that we can get back to living life the way that we want to. Um, hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. In any case, enjoy. And until I talk to you again, bye-bye. <laughs>